Hello friends and welcome to Swimming and Singing. I'm Sarah Nelson, I'm a yoga therapist in Portland, Oregon, and I specialize in working with people dealing with pain, anxiety, and overwhelm, using the practices and tools of yoga to support others in creating more ease and joy and less suffering in their daily lives. If that sparks your interest, head to my website to find a free guided meditation for overcoming overwhelm. The name of my podcast comes from a beloved poem written by Gregory Orr and is a reminder that some days it's all we can do to tread water and then other days there is room for joy. This podcast aims to share practices for both types of days. Friends, I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. My guest today was one of my very first yoga teachers when I decided to take my first yoga teacher training. Her use of poetry in class inspired me to share poetry in my own classes as well. Her deep knowledge and respect for yoga wisdom beyond the poses encouraged me to continue to expand the breadth of my own yoga studies. And her connection to nature and how that connection is an extension of her spiritual practices mirrors my own experience. Diana Hewlett is a Pacific Northwest yoga teacher and activist. She has been steeped in the yoga tradition for over three decades and has been teaching yoga and yoga philosophy since 2004. While she has been influenced by many luminaries and mentors, Diana has always seen life as her greatest teacher and inspires her students to do the same. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Liberal Arts from Oregon State University, where she focused on the intersection between worldviews, sustainability, and environmental ethics. Deanna currently teaches in the Mind Body Program at Oregon State and offers seasonal practices and retreats in the Pacific Northwest. Deanna and I chat about the intersection of contemplative practices and environmental activism and how her own MS diagnosis informs and influences her climate work and relationship to nature. Stick around until the end to hear about online and in-person events Deanna has coming up. And for those in the Portland metro area, there's a discount for her upcoming in-person workshops. This podcast is for inspiration and information and does not replace medical care or advice. I am not a licensed healthcare professional or mental health therapist. Not all practices discussed on this podcast will be suitable or accessible to everybody, but I hope that you find something that resonates and can bring a bit more ease and joy into your life. Let's get to it. Hello, Deanna, and welcome to Swimming and Singing. Hi, Sarah. It's really good to be here with you today. Thank you. It's so great to have you. I'm going to jump right in. Um, I want to start by mentioning uh, this interesting coincidence that I didn't realize until we were emailing back and forth. 
which is that you went back to school to study religious studies, and then you pivoted to a focus on environmental ethics. And I started my undergrad studies as an environmental studies major, and then changed um, and graduated with a degree in religious studies. And so we both have this appreciation, I think, for the intersection of religion, spirituality, the environment. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how spirituality and the environment intersect for you. Absolutely, Sarah. It's so interesting that we have that parallel and actually a complementary parallel, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is interesting. Uh, it's like I went this way and then pivoted this way, and then you came in this way and pivoted that way. And um, and and I think that there's a lot there. I I went in and I'll just share a tiny bit about how it happened. Um, and I'm still reflecting on on why. Uh, and I think that's mm. going to be a lifelong journey, is to really look at at how these two um, kind of lines of study and self study are in relationship with each other. I I went in back to school to 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 come into the teachings that I've just been steeped in through years of practice and teaching in a way that um, that was a little bit different. Um, I feel like I kind of took the more traditional route of studying with specific teachers and different lineages of yoga, and then I wanted to have a different perspective. So I went in and was taking courses on Gandhian nonviolence, um, on writing. Um, Buddhism, Hinduism, and and then I actually took this course over a summer on environmental ethics, and it started to awaken in me a lot of things that I had known my whole life uh, about myself, and even had known in my teaching life of the the vastness that we feel when we're connected to the natural world. And I've often felt that same vastness on the mat or on the cushion. Mm. And so I think that that's where that initial um, kind of confluence happens between these two rivers of study. And, and that when we're standing at the edge of the ocean or whether we're standing at the foot of a giant um, cedar tree and thinking actually about a specific tree um, that I like to go to nearly every season and have for a long time uh, that there's this sense of like insignificance and great significance all at the same time and mm-hmm. it seems that only contemplative practice um, or or religion or um, spiritual practice can can hold that. Um, and so I feel that in, in our capacity to, and this kind of starts to tilt towards this contemplative activism aspect of my work and of, of, of this emerging work that I'm seeing around is the sense of being able to actually pause and be with what is, uh, which is also a beautiful thing when you are in the midst of know, migrating birds or the simplicity of a quiet backyard um, or the tiniest bit of balcony one might have in the middle of a city and they look up and there's this little wedge of sky and all of a sudden, you know, a, 
a crow or a goose flies through and they're taken out of this, this sense of individuality. Um, and that is also, I think, what, what happens in practice. So I feel that, that they're so interrelated uh, and, and there's such a beautiful um, kind of different parts of my life that have been so meaningful to me and that have really carried me through some of the most difficult times um, are my spiritual practice as well as being able to walk outside and stand under the stars and just be in complete awe is that feeling of those connections is just so very similar. They're just almost one and the same. There's a, you probably know that one of my favorite poets is David White. And he, there's a poem that's the, titled The Bell and the Blackbird. And I think it's actually the name of one of his poetry books. Um, and he shares this story about uh, a monk tending to the garden um, outside of the monastery. And he hears the sound of the temple bell. And he says, ah, oh, that's, that's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. Um, that kind of calling to go inward, the calling to deeply listen to the inner landscape. And then just past the monastery wall, he hears the sound of a blackbird and he says, ah, oh, that too is the most beautiful sound I've ever heard, uh, which is the calling to come out into the world and the calling to participate in the web of life that we're so intricately a part of, but with the walls and with the ceilings and with all of the ways that um, you know, we have isolated ourselves as humans from that vitality uh, of our environment um, that we kind of hear that call inward to pay attention and we hear the call outward to also pay attention and again that's i think our spiritual traditions can really um, really hold that uh, and i really do think it's a time to step beyond i mean it always has been right? um, the the practices that we engage with in yoga are here simply because there were spaces um, in India at that time for 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 things to cross uh, and come here. So um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, I hope that I hope that touched on your question. I think that there's there's a lot to that. Yeah in that um, the practice also gives us the the big view <laughs> mm. uh, allows us to see that this life that we're each living is really just from from the perspective of the dharmic traditions the dharmic religions is that we're just kind of a blip passing through um, and when you look at what's happening in the world, whether it's biodiversity loss or deforestation um, or the rising sea level that's going to push millions of people out of their homes and off of their land, um, that the way we want to run away from that and or the way we want to collapse into apathy and despair from that can be held uh, again in that sense of practice. Um, that allows us to pull back and then also 
drop in at the same time. Yeah, that I, I appreciate what you're saying. And that it makes me think of my, um, my next question, which is, you know, we're, we're focusing on mindfulness this season on the podcast. And I do think that sometimes if someone thinks about, you know, a meditator or a yogi or something, they, they might picture this person who's kind of, who's more withdrawn from the troubles of the world and from society, um, you know, a, a little above it all, like, oh, this is all temporary. None of this, you know, matters kind of thing. And so, I, I know that I know that's not where you're coming from. And so I'd love to hear um, how mindfulness and contem- contemplative practices actually inform your climate activism. Well, I'll start with what I had said um, to your last question is remembering the spaces of wonder and awe. Um, this work of any activism work. Mm. Um, You know, my climate activism has been focused a lot on animal agriculture and those industries. And to be in those spaces um, and to see what's happening to all of Earth's beings requires um, some tools, some support in order to be able to move from a place that is grounded um, and that sees the big picture. Because if we're just moving, you know, I, I have a feeling that we're all going to be activists in some way. Mm-hmm. And the work that you're doing with this podcast and having these conversations is bringing a lot of things to light that have to come to light right now. And um, But if all of these conversations, even the ones that might not feel like they're directly related to climate, but they are (laughs) like historically marginalized populations and people and groups um, who have, you know, these are the the people that are going to be in the high water rising. These are the ones that are not going to be seen, um, that are just going to, you know, be relatively invisible to these larger and of solutions to kind of save the status quo. Well, the status quo wasn't working. So aside from um, this way that we have to move from a grounded space, I think practice can really support um, not being reactive uh, and being really skillful, <laughs> really skillful <laughs> in how we're responding. Um, but it's not easy. And that kind of goes to that question of this idea that know practitioners of meditation or of yoga or that really have their days steeped in practice are not um reactive that there's this sense of calm that is completely disrupted um it's kind of like saying that uh, a person shouldn't grieve for the loss of a good friend because they just have been studying impermanence their whole life. And that's just not the case. Like um, things are sad and things are tragic. And, uh, and, and we were in the throes of that too. Uh, and I guess like, I really just want to speak rather than kind of doing this all encompassing we is really speak for myself personally. Um, I, run hot (laughs) i run hot and uh, i can be one of the most um reactive people i know to certain situations and i think that was something that really showed up 
in studying uh, environmental ethics or studying climate is coming away from that going, what is, what is going on? Like, what are we actually doing? And everywhere I looked, I was seeing really everything through this lens of judgment and, and a critical eye, um, which was a great thing to learn um, because we can't just say like, oh, it's all good. <laughs> it's not. And it's really not going to be for a lot of, of people and animals, uh, you know, as we continue to move through the coming decades. Um, so that I had to be with that and really feel that. And I think all of that, that way that I was seeing the world after studying this, and even to this day, um, that practice supported me being able to realize that I'm just really sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it hurts. Uh, it hurts to feel it uh, and to see it. And, um, and, and even seeing how people can't look at it because it hurts so much, mm. uh, you know, that there is, there is something there that, that practice gives us the space to be with. Uh, and, and this idea of having to be calm and having to just, uh, hold this center um, sure, there is just like I think this quote from Rumi says. Someone said, "Well, how come you're always talking about silence, but you're always talking about silence?" <laughs> and Rumi says, "The silent one inside me has never said a word. The silent one inside me has never said a word." And so, on a good day, <laughs> if I'm noticing okay, I'm reacting to the neighbors cutting this tree down that seems like they're doing it for no apparent reason. <laughs> um, and instead of railing against that, uh, or even if I do inside rail against it, that there is someone inside me <laughs> at the deepest level that is able to, to recognize that and go, okay, sweetie, you're just sad. Like, and that's okay. And then I, come home and light a candle and sit and cry. And, and then I write and then I go outside and then I offer a blessing for the tree that's being cut down. And then I turn my face to the tree that's still standing and go, hello, <laughs> hi, you're amazing. We're still here. We're still here. Uh, and so that's just a little bit of how it works, but I really hope, that we can, as practitioners, uh, drop that narrative that we have to show up a certain way. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think we need to drag every single thing into the studio or into the classroom or into the meditation. Uh, I also think that um, this way that you know, social media and um, I'm not dissing social media here. I know that it's, it's, it can be a valuable tool for sharing information for activism, all these things, but elevating people who aren't moved by 
life in its, as my partner and I call, in its just daily beautiful disaster. Mm. Um, those aren't the kind of people I want to study with <laughs> or have a conversation with. Uh, and I just want to be in the grit a little while um, because it's just going to get more gritty. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good. We're dismantling things very far too slowly for my liking. Um, but in the same way that, that we are bringing more awareness to the different bodies that are coming to the mat and the cushion, um, that we have to bring awareness to the fact that we're just not all calm and the way that we're not yeah. all bendy <laughs> or, the, or handstandy <laughs> whatever that. like it's it is yeah. a, a storm on my cushion it is a storm yeah. on my cushion most of the time yeah um, yeah and that's okay yeah yeah thank you, you know, for that say, I, yeah they're like I can't I can't meditate my mind's too busy is the yeah. same narrative of like I can't do yoga I'm too stiff it's just the same thing. And, and, and maybe they sit down for a minute and watch some breaths and that's what happens for five years. Yeah. So I think being able to, as, as teachers or guides or practitioners, being able to really support that each other in each other is, is essential for how I see these, communities of mindfulness or um, or the practices of showing up uh, really need to be uh, and be supportive of that i was reflecting on this question earlier and i thought of of michael stone mm -hmm. um, and and the challenges that he wasn't really be able at the time to be transparent about because of that expectation that we are or that i am calm under any circumstances yeah yeah for people who don't know michael stone you can look him up he was a famous um very influential canadian yoga teacher who passed away a few years ago now um like came to portland taught in portland lots of lots of folks in this area had studied with him and died really sadly. Yeah. Thanks. So slight pivot, if you don't mind, um, talking about your MS diagnosis, which I think you've had for quite a while. I think we met, um, not too long after, um, you had been diagnosed and, I've been kind of contemplating this um, intersection of, you know, I work with a lot of people who have different sorts of chronic illness and this intersection with, with chronic illness, what feels like a lot of chronic illness and the climate, you know, our own climate disaster. And I'm just curious if your own diagnosis has influenced your relationship with the climate or with activism. That's a really good question and not a huge pivot. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and a really good, a really good turn uh, to look at this. So I was diagnosed in 2010 and um, 
I've been making it all right since then. Uh, it is a daily effort. Uh, kind of feels like I'm familiar with Sisyphus. Like every day, I'm just I'm like pushing this giant <laughs> boulder up the mountain. And some days are easier than others, and that's just to get through the normal, quote unquote, normal, just daily tasks of life. You know, work and connection and practice and um, walking my dog and going to the grocery store and uh, and yeah. and a certain vulnerability that comes with that and also comes with having something that is relatively invisible and I think this might mm -hmm. speak to some of the ways that you've been connecting with your students is that um, I'm sure that many people have heard it in these situations. It's like, well, you look fine. You look yeah. good. You seem to be doing okay. I'm like, yeah, but backstage, there's like a lot, a lot going on. Um, but I really want to center the answer to your question around this sense of vulnerability because that word, and I, and I hear it often, especially with, with my students at Oregon State is, um, that word vulnerability is often viewed as something negative uh, in our society. Um, and we're all vulnerable to climate. Uh, I think, I don't know, I don't know if you, what you said, disaster. Uh, and I'm really glad you said that word because, you know, there are many contemplative activists uh, and climate activists who are just like, we can't use the word climate change. <laughs> we can't just say that anymore. And we don't, I mean, so the word crisis uh, often makes people feel you know, panicked. And again, we go into that sympathetic nervous response, that fight or flight response that often you know, leads to reactivity, often leads to turning the other way, running in the other direction, or just completely freezing. Um, so that's not going to, that's not always going to work. Um, but finding the right language, one of the, one of the recent iterations of this way to describe what's happening on our planet, uh, that I've been using is climate breakdown, because that's kind of what feels like it's happening. It's like, there was something that was kind of working and together and balanced and, um, the planet was having some kind of homeostasis, but now things have tipped at a certain point where these these systems that were in balance are just really starting to break down. And so we're all vulnerable to that, um, some more than others. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, we're really aware of that, that those for too long unseen uh, populations, and I'm talking like not just human, but you know, unseen populations, are going to be the ones that are feeling it. And I'm speaking as if that's a future thing. And it is far not a future thing. This is right. happening now and has been happening for a long time. So that sense of vulnerability that a chronic condition uh, like MS brings to the table is something that I have been really trying to stay close to. Um, and not fall into comparative thinking of like, well, so-and-so can do these 27 things in the day or, <laughs> or you no, know, so-and-so has a chronic condition and is handling it this way yeah. to go, okay, like, what does this feel like today? Um, it pulls me right into the moment, thankfully. 
uh, and I'm able to to be with, uh, or as I've heard in, in the advocacy world for animals and and people, is to accompany, mm. um, to actually uh, not only accompany myself in the, whatever particular state I'm moving through, but also be able to accompany others um, who are also really feeling the the push of what's happening uh, on our climate you know shifting and breaking down the way it is so i think that there's a it's like i'm not facing <laughs> the the most vulnerable populations uh, in this but i'm trying to to sit yeah. with and listen um, yeah. in these instances so i feel that that that's the main part of it. And then also, um, you know, I think what's tricky when you have an illness that is so unpredictable is you're having to show up every day with what is and go, okay, like what is happening today? And that's, I mean, that's what the natural world is doing all the time. I mean, I, I feed the birds in our backyard and I have, you know, birds show up with one leg um, birds who you know have broken legs, birds who have like issues with the wing, and they're just putting one moment in front of the other and doing what's needed to survive. Uh, yeah. And so there's again that that way that that nature has been such a great companion. Um, you know, that the natural world and the animals and plants of the world are such companions through this process of, of not knowing uh, how it's going to show up each day, you know, how the internal weather is going to show up and how my body is going to respond to that. And, and I can say, oh, okay, like, this is how it is. See how I can support and then carry on. Yeah. Are you, um, are you familiar with the author Sophie Strand? I'm not. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm taking a series of, um, workshops with her this month and, um, big, big events, you know, where you're just like one face on a, on a giant zoom, but she lives with some sort of, um, chronic illness. And she said, uh, last week, something like, um, if people can learn to be with people who have chronic illness, then people can learn to be with climate change or, you know, with what's happening in, in our world with the climate. And it was like, I don't know, that just really, it really struck, struck a chord in me. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need to, we're going to need to help. Yeah. Um, we're going to need to help. And I think that, that also too, looking out from where I am, I find that I heal by helping. Hmm. Uh, I remember a couple of months ago, I woke up on a, a particular day that I think that's really tricky for, for people with anything chronic too, is you set a schedule and you've got to, as my <laughs> friend says, like make a plan, hold it loosely <laughs> uh, and be willing to adapt, which is what, all of the animals are already doing to climate. You know, we have species and also 
know, migrations are changing. Um, they're yeah. adapting in real time. Uh, and you know, like, you know, your teacher Sophie said, is that, you know, that being with, being able to like, that to accompany, being able to be with what is, gives us the ground for clarity and for compassion and also the courage to act uh, as well. So, um, you know, the, so that a few weeks ago, I guess it's probably a couple of months ago now, I had it on my calendar to um, do some volunteer, volunteer help at a local farm animal sanctuary. And I woke up that day just not feeling physically great. And the weather was a little intense and I was worried about my footing on the farm mm-hmm. um, or at the sanctuary. And I thought, well, we're just going to go ahead and go. And so my partner and I went and got there and I was able to spend time with and clean mm-hmm. uh, and just be with these animals who have been you know, rescued from you know, certain really, really terrible industries that are tied into climate and, and seeing the lives that they're leading and being able to leave them with clean spaces and fresh water uh, and be in a community of people whose focus was not on themselves, their focus went outward and said, okay, how can I help today? That I left there feeling so much better, not because I like I went out and volunteered and I feel better about myself, but I literally felt that my nervous system downregulated in the company of other spaces and beings of vulnerability. Yeah. So I think that, that Sophie is wise in saying that is that being with someone who has this unpredictability um, or just constant (laughs) you know constant measure of what or what is not possible on any given day will be increasingly important as we as we feel each other through this process of change yeah it's beautiful i mean it's beautiful Um, and like i said it's a beautiful disaster and I remember when when COVID. I know this isn't going off the record or off of our questions, but I remember when okay. COVID that like came on the scene. <laughs> um, that I said, "Well, this is going to be our dress rehearsal for climate change, <laughs> uh, or you know, climate breakdown. This is going to be okay, humanity, yeah. <laughs> global humanity, worldwide crisis." how's it going to go? Yeah. And I was like, do? I was like, Ooh, <laughs> like, I mean like room for improvement. Uh, and, and also did wake people up. There was a lot of divisiveness. I feel like it was just a glimpse of, of ways that we can go. Um, and, yeah. And also um, a situation where, again, the, the most, the most um, vulnerable uh, people were in very different situations than those who were the most privileged. And I just saw that across the board. And we're seeing that with you know, the climate breakdown too. 
and also there are moments of great beauty and you know I don't think that in the same also in the same way that that mindfulness practice and and any kind of contemplative practice does allow us to see clearly and allow us to turn towards what's possible um, that that there were places that we saw great understanding uh, and and supportive communities and voices that needed to be elevated Um, so I'm hopeful. (laughs) I am, even though I I feel somewhat shattered uh, multiple times a day, I definitely try and look towards the tree that's still on the ground (laughs) more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Especially again, with that sense of vulnerability that anything, any kind of chronic illness brings to the table every day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I just wanted to close by um, giving you an opportunity to speak a little bit um, about the events you have coming up and know that I will also link to them in the show notes so um, people can can find where to work with you. I'll also include your website. So what's coming up for you? Well, all the things that we've talked about has been <laughs> coming up for me, uh, but literally on the horizon, <laughs> coming up for me every single day. Um, on the horizon, I'm excited. Uh, I feel that I've been really trying to pay attention to how my body is responding to 19 years of really focusing on teaching asana practice. And I'm intentionally pivoting more towards uh, lecturing, uh, definitely more towards writing, um, towards photographing some of the beautiful and and tragic um, things of the world uh, these days. But on the horizon, as far as teaching goes, I am excited to be returning to the Breathe Building, which is somewhere I taught a number of years ago. So I will be, this is the next thing that's on the horizons coming up in a couple of weeks, but it's a three-part series called The Language of Our Landscape. And uh, I am starting with um, a conversation and practice on how we remember that we are nature. Um, that we're not just something separate and that nature is something we go to and not something that we actually are a part of, um, which is a huge part of my own personal practice and a huge uh, aspect of how I feel that my brain is even changing from having this very human-centered approach to moving through the world and more of an ecological centered approach of you'll be opening the the lens and the landscape to see how how I'm in relationship with. And so that's really what all three parts of this series is centered on. But the first one is really about the natural world. Um, the second one is is animals, everything from wildlife to our companion animals to animals caught in the um, the food system. All of these things will be um, talked about, discussed, space for people to journal, um, definitely time for practice, 
and the last one is going to be focused on climate breakdown. So it's this three-part series where it's um, the natural world and our relationship there, our relationship to all the animals and, and everyone we share this, this planet with. And then finally, our response to climate breakdown. And, and so in that one in particular, there'll be time to, to be with the grief, to mm-hmm. hold those spaces and reflect on that. Um, if the weather feels appropriate and it's accessible for everyone to take a walk outside and remember joy and remember <laughs> to actually see what is still pushing through the ground, um, yeah. especially at this time of year, yeah. uh, to remember that. So the whole series is titled Language of Our Landscape, and that's coming up at the end of February, end of March, and end of April. So and looking forward to that. Live in yeah, person. In Portland, Oregon, yeah. It is live in person in Portland at the Breed Building in Southeast Portland. So there's a lot more detail on their website as far as um, just anything people would need to know to attend there. And also I'll be teaching an online workshop at Loyola Marymount University uh, as part of their Yoga Mindfulness and Social Change year-long certificate program. I'm really excited to be a part of that. Um, A number of teachers who I've studied with over the years, we're also part of the ASEERS faculty. So that was a huge invitation that I'm really excited to, to do. So that is titled Wild Minds. Uh, contemplative practice is a pathway into nature and out of climate mm-hmm. despair. So that is open to everyone and not just uh, people who are attending that year-long program. So that, yes. and then uh, more writing uh, for sure, more time for reflection. Um, and then the last thing, Uh, I'm doing that's really tied into these two is I'm creating a course at Oregon State on interdisciplinary yoga uh, focused on yoga and the natural world so uh, that's just new on the horizon as of a couple of weeks ago so congratulations um, that is going to be in person in Corvallis uh, which is great it'll be the first time this course is offered so I've got some work putting that together so it's going to be inside time for the students as well as outside time very so that cool. is what is up um, and what's happening here uh, in my world and also the world of the teaching community. So I hope yeah. to see you and anyone else who might be listening to this podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And I will just say um, both the in-person event and the online event, totally affordable. I At first I was like, oh, that LMU event, like that's going to be, you know, really expensive, but it, it's very affordable. So if you want to, if you want to hear more from Deanna, definitely. And you're not local to Portland, that that's a great opportunity for listeners. Thank you. And I'm also offering uh, scholarships or discounts for the in-person event at the Breed Building too. So I'm always open to anyone reaching out if they're meeting any kind of challenge to let me know. And I want to be able to hold that space for, for everyone. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was so nice to talk with you. You as well, Sarah. I'm really glad that we had this time. I have a quick update, especially for listeners in the Portland metro area. Deanna has gifted listeners with a discount code for her upcoming in-person series at the Breathe Building in Portland. The code which along with the link to register and find out more will also be in the show notes. The code is all of us 30, all caps, no spaces, 
A-L-L-O-F-U-S-3-0. And that's for 30% off. The workshop, the first workshop, is coming up this Sunday, February 26th. The code will work for a single workshop or to purchase all three. I am signed up for all three, and I hope to see some of you there. Don't hesitate to reach out for more information on the workshops. Thank you so much for listening to Swimming and Singing. Links and contact information for me and my guests can be found in the show notes and on my website, where you can also find that free guided meditation, Overcoming Overwhelm. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast. If you have thoughts or comments you'd like to share with me, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep swimming and keep singing.